The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Have you ever wondered about your neighbor's tree branch hanging over your house? Or thought, who really owns that tree on my property line? Is ignoring the questionable tree in my backyard a good idea? Well, in this episode... We talked with an ISA certified arborist and a lawyer to find out where the law and your urban trees intersect. Lee Clark has worked as a paralegal, a criminal defense lawyer, and a college professor. After earning a master's in forestry from the University of Georgia Warnell School of Forestry and Natural Resources, she now serves with the Georgia Forestry Commission as the community forester for Northeast Georgia. She's responsible for 40 counties. As an ISA certified arborist and track qualified, her focus is on supporting cities, counties, and tree advocacy groups to improve the urban tree canopy. Remember, this presentation is informational only and is not legal advice. This fresh episode 126, Branches and Boundaries, Navigating Tree Legalities with Lee Clark. Lee, what is a community forester? Community forester, we have four of them in the state right now. We divided up the state and we each have many counties. We work with all of the counties in the cities and tree advocacy boards within those cities and counties. We try to help all communities maximize the benefits of an urban forest. Trees don't stop their benefits at an artificial zip code line. Trees spread their benefits everywhere. We provide technical assistance to cities and counties, even schools, college campuses, nonprofits, homeowners. We work with cities in passing tree ordinances and helping them form tree boards, then to get recognition for their efforts to preserve and celebrate the community trees. We work extensively with the Tree City USA program, help cities get in and stay into that program. We do help homeowners in cities plan for storms and storm mitigation. Tell us a little bit about the Georgia Forestry Commission. We are a large agency that work to promote healthy community and urban forests. We work throughout the state to help improve forests and forest management. We do a lot of wildland firefighting. We have a large contingent within the Forestry Commission that works with private landowners that have large tracts of managed timber and we help them manage their forests appropriately. I'm in the small division at the Forestry Commission that is urban and community forestry. We work with cities and counties and we help communities form tree boards or pass tree ordinances. We help homeowners with managing trees and then we also help cities with storm planning. You're also an attorney, and I'm curious, why did you change professions from a practicing attorney to a community forester? I was so lucky. I had the opportunity to reinvent myself. I just sat down and thought about it for a while. What 
what would make me really happy? The answer came back of being an arborist, helping trees and helping people learn about trees and take care of trees. So I was just very lucky that I could uproot myself, completely change states and professions, went back to school at an advanced age, and loved everything that I learned about trees. It just made so much sense that this is really where I need to be. Having come from a legal experience and being an attorney for over 20 years, I can bring that to the table and I can enhance this job. I can better help cities with tree ordinances. And also I've been lately talking to a lot of communities and groups about tree law. I'm able to do that with my unique background. It is a unique background, and I know lawyers always like to put out a disclaimer about legal. Would you like to put a disclaimer out there? I will. If we're going to talk about anything legal, this is informational only. I'm not in the Georgia bar. I'm in the Florida bar, but I am inactive in the Florida bar. So I am not practicing law in any state currently. This is informational only. It's not legal advice. Great. What legal responsibilities do property owners have regarding trees on their land? They have to be a reasonable person. They have to act reasonably. What ultimately is decided to be reasonable, if you really take it out to the extremes, that's what a jury would decide. If you get yourself into a situation, you have a tree fall or there's a liability issue, if it goes as far as it could go, it's going to go to jury trial. In a nutshell, they are deciding, did you, as a tree owner, act reasonably? You don't have a duty to inspect for non-visible damage if you're in an urban area. You just have to do what a reasonable person would do which is there, it's visible, apparent, and patent, you need to notice it and you need to mitigate that. What would an example be of something like that? There is a tree right next to your driveway that that every day when you drive in and drive out your driveway, you see this tree. It has a huge amount of decay in it, close near the bottom, right where you can see it when you pass by in your car. The tree appears to be suffering from the wound or the damage, such as it's lost its leaves or its needles. Maybe it's dropping limbs. It does not look alive anymore. It looks hazardous. Most often it's because there is decay and the decay is visible, apparent, and patent, which is all just a lawyer way of saying it's really obvious decay. So if you have a really obvious condition on a tree on your property, you have to check that out. You've got to inspect it, you've got to get someone to look at it that knows what they're doing, and you've got to mitigate it. Now, I was in a client's property the other day gathering field notes, and I noticed a fig tree that appeared to be on the neighbor's property but there were limbs hanging well over what I perceived as the property line. And I couldn't help myself. I had to sample 10 or 12 figs from that fig tree. So my question is, who actually owns that fruit? Strangely enough, different states are going to do it in different ways. Out in the West, they have more specific laws that deal with who owns the fruit and what you can do with it because there's more tree food crops and those are cash crops those are valuable where we live in georgia it isn't really that much of an issue we've got pecan trees whether we want them or not we've got pecans everywhere and walnuts who actually owns the tree is where the tree is located 
if it's entirely within one person's property, that person owns the tree. If the tree straddles a property line and is on more than one property line, then both people own it. They both have a responsibility to maintain their part and also a responsibility to not harm the tree unreasonably, being the tree as a whole. That would be called a boundary tree, right? Exactly, a boundary tree, yes. Okay. We'll talk more about boundary trees in just a moment. To what extent can the homeowner or the client that, that the tree is overhanging the fig tree, can they cut those branches back? They do have the right, if the branches are encroaching onto their property, coming over the property line, they have the right to cut the branch off with caveats. They cannot do overall or unreasonable damage to the tree as a whole. The best practice is to talk to the neighbor and say, hey, you want to get together on pruning this? Or we could split the cost? Or how do you feel about pruning it? And see where your neighbor stands, the neighbor being the owner of the tree. Either owner or the encroached upon neighbor can initiate that conversation because they both have an interest in this. The owner of the tree has an interest in the branch being pruned correctly if at all, and that the tree overall is not harmed. The neighbor being encroached upon would like to get the encroachment out of there, but it's still got to be done correctly, and it still has to be done in a way that does not harm the tree overall unreasonably. Okay, so we've talked about branches and trunks. What about root systems? Can a tree owner be held responsible for damaging or causing harm to the roots growing on a neighbor's property? In some states, it comes down to whether the tree was naturally or artificially put there. If it's just natural growth, then wherever it is, if one property owner owns it, but it was just a natural generation tree that came up on its own, it's expected that roots are going to escape property lines and roots can extend two or three times the canopy spread. So roots can go out a lot farther than really we realize. In that kind of a natural situation, most states say, no, you're just, you have to deal with it, not the owner of the tree where it's located. If the tree was artificially planted there as for aesthetic purposes or for whatever reason people plant trees, there can be higher burden on the actual owner or planter of the tree. States differ on this. And many states, including Georgia, to my knowledge, have not even dealt with this. It's just not come up in a sense and worked its way up to the courts to a level that it's been reported that we can get any guidance from it. Yeah. Let's reverse that. Can a neighbor be held liable for damaging tree roots? Definitely. Yes. And, And this comes up in the context of tree roots will impact a sidewalk or a driveway or even in worst cases impact the foundation of a neighbor's home. Those are hard, difficult situations. It's best for the neighbors to talk about it and work with their insurance companies to figure that out. The danger is that the encroached upon neighbor will take it upon themselves to cut the roots. That will always damage the tree. To what degree depends on the tree and the species and the location and what cuts are made, but it's going to damage the tree. Would that be also like if you had construction on the other property? Definitely. It's impossible to do construction near a tree without impacting that tree negatively. It's it's very difficult. Yeah, and as tight as our lots are today, then definitely going to damage it. How about if my tree is blocking views of, of scenic sites or something like that? 
Vista pruning is an issue when people live in a scenic area, such as the side of a mountain. They want more of a mountain view. They'll prune so that they can see the vista. Unfortunately, that's usually partially done on the trees, and the trees end up dying, if not immediately, then within a few years. Um, I have not encountered any issues about shade conflicts where one tree shades out another. I have read some cases in the law books about a tree casting shade on a vegetable garden and the neighbors got into a dispute about that. I don't know, that to me just seems like you have to really find a way to work with your neighbor. You're going to have a lot of other issues. If you can't work through that one, you can move your garden. <laughs> All right, I saw this weird sight the other day. It was a metal fence that was right through the middle of a tree trunk. Now, if that's the property line, what what's the solution for something like that? Probably the tree was on one side of the boundary, the fence went up, and then the tree expanded through the fence and subsumed and encapsulated the fence. That is a tree that has grown to being a boundary tree. They don't all start off as boundary trees. They can grow into it as they expand over the property line or expand into fences. That tree's now a boundary tree. Tell us what a boundary tree actually is versus a, a non-boundary type tree. A boundary tree is one that straddles property lines. It could be most commonly on two property lines. It could be a really oddball case to be on more than um, most commonly, it's right on the, uh, the cross of the property line between two houses. Um, some people even, or some neighborhoods, even have boundary trees intentionally planned. They'll have the clump of trees between the houses just for privacy or for screening or aesthetics. Legally, boundary trees are treated as the property of both homeowners that own the property where the tree is located. They both have a duty to maintain the tree, to keep it healthy, to not do anything unreasonable to it, and they have a duty to maintain what's on their side as well as a duty to not harm the tree overall because it's not entirely their tree. They have a responsibility to their neighbor. There has to be instances where people couldn't come to, a, to an agreement on that. It's where do you take it from there if you and your neighbor can't agree on this tree? You can get your property insurance involved. It depends on this, the underlying situation. If you have a liability situation where a tree has fallen, that's going to involve either an attorney or insurance companies or both. If you just have a easier situation where there's no liability, you just want your neighbor to maybe chip in for some maintenance costs, like it just needs an overall crown cleaning or it does need some specific pruning to keep it overall healthy, and you can't get your neighbor to agree to it. Can you just go ahead and clean it or take care of it? You can. You can go ahead and clean it. The better way to do it, of course, would be to talk to your neighbor. If that doesn't work, you can always send a certified letter to your neighbor. You may even want to, if there's some tree work that needs to be done, like pruning or something that requires an arborist, you could have an arborist write a letter or an arborist company write a letter to your neighbor and just say, this is my professional opinion. This is what needs to be done to keep the tree safe and lower the liability risks. This needs to be done. It's a boundary tree. When your neighbor need to work this out but this is the work that needs to be done 
if the neighbors really were not cooperating, then you would have to pull an attorney into it and the attorney would have to get involved to get some kind of financial contribution from the neighbor. Okay. Did we cover what a non-boundary tree, is that just every other tree on the property? Yeah, it's a tree that is wholly located within one property and doesn't straddle the property line. I've heard the term nuisance tree and negligence trees, and I get confused in my mind what those are. Could you straighten me out on that? Nuisance and negligence are two causes of action that can be used when you have a tree that has become a liability issue. If your neighbor is not maintaining their tree and you're afraid that something bad will happen to your property because of that lack of maintenance, you can sue them for nuisance. As some jurisdictions in Georgia, you can. It's just not done very much. You can sue them in nuisance and say that they are allowing a nuisance condition, which is hazardous, to exist. You'll have to prove essentially the same thing that you have to prove with negligence. Negligence is used after there's been a liability or issue, after there's been an event, a tree has fallen or a branch has fallen and someone's gotten hurt or property has been damaged, you could sue in, ne in negligence rather than nuisance to say, hey, you had an obligation to keep this tree in good condition, to keep it safe, and you didn't. Because you didn't, this is what happened and this is the damage and you're responsible for it. So those are nuisance and neg negligence are both things that can be sued for in tree event situations, nuisance is rarely ever used, but it is available. Negligence is just much easier and it's much more common. It's usually post-event then. Yes, negligence is going to be post-event. Nuisance yeah. can be either. Yeah, I always wonder if you have a neighbor that just doesn't like trees and are, are fearful and they want you to cut every tree down on property like they did their own property, if they would abuse that. You can't issue just a blanket warning to your neighbor and say, oh, that covers everything that will ever happen with the trees on your property. You're going to be responsible. It's not a warning system. So you can't lock in that warning and just send a blanket letter that says, hey, all your trees are hazardous because all trees do eventually fail. That's just how it goes. What matters in tree liability is the reasonableness of actions. You have to have acted reasonably. How do natural disasters, hurricanes, wildfires, intersect with tree-related legal issues, particularly regarding responsibility for damage caused by falling trees? Some insurance policies will specify what they define as acts of God, like hurricanes or really high wind events. When certified arborists do hazard evaluations on trees, we can only do that within certain parameters, and so we're expecting normal weather events, which are just average weather events for that location. We can't plan ahead or predict ahead what tornado may come, what hurricane may come, so we leave that out of the calculation. Overall, the responsibility is to do reasonable maintenance on your trees, and that is expected before a storm or whether there's a storm coming or not. So if you have hazardous trees that have become hazardous because of a lack of maintenance or lack of attention or you're acting unreasonably in some way when they fall during a storm then your liability is based on the fact that you did not maintain them reasonably before the storm. Would that fall under standard of care? 
the standard of care in an urban setting is this, the obligation that you owe to a neighbor that a tree could fall on. It's In general, it's just the duty that we owe to all other people around us to not act unreasonably, such as when you drive your car down the road, you have a duty to just not go crazy and drive in a hazardous way. You just have to drive like a normal person, obey the speed limit and just stay on your side of the road. It's the same thing with trees. You have to have acted reasonably throughout the tree's life or throughout your ownership of that tree, whether a storm's coming or not. So that when a storm event does happen, whether be it an act of God or not, your tree was non-hazardous before that event. So you're not going to be as liable or liable if at all depends on the situation if you acted reasonably before and you were careful with your maintenance let's say that i am fearful of the trees at my neighbor's house i'm to the point where i'm so concerned about it that i feel like something needs to be done about that tree what would i do the best thing to do aside from talking to your neighbor and coming to an agreement about what to do, if you really feel like you need to protect yourself, you can talk to your own insurance company, see what they would require, and or you could send a certified letter to your neighbor. Hire a certified arborist, get a professional opinion. You can even include that opinion in the letter and say, this is hazardous for these reasons. This is the mitigation that I propose or that the arborist proposes. And I really suggest that you do this so that when something does happen specifically related to that hazard, that predicted hazard, you're covered or you will be more likely to be protected. The intricacies of that really depend on your insurance and your relationship with your neighbor. But that is a very common question that we get asked, is fear over neighbor's trees. We do get questions about someone just bought a a piece of property, maybe 10 acres or 20, or even in a, a residential area, it's heavily wooded, want to clear it or it, even selectively harvest it. And they want to know if they can find someone to come in to do the cutting, to haul it away that would give them money for it, or even do it for free. And we get that question a lot. And no, you're not going to find anybody. It, it, no. Yeah. Right now, it, they're looking at a minimum of 40 acres to even get anybody out there. There's a huge labor shortage in yeah. the trucking and logging market. It's not going to happen in an urban setting, first off. And then rural, you've got to have a lot of land, and it's really got to be worth their time. What about urban wood reuse centers? It is starting to spread. It's going to be great when they get this going. Mm -hmm. It it has to be all over because part of the utilization of the wood is that we don't want to truck it really far. We just want to drop it off really close and save the gas and save all that effort and the fumes of getting it to the landfill. So we have to have a lot of these centers all over the place to make it easy to drop off urban wood. Could you expand on urban wood reuse centers? Yes, I've seen those are coming up in Georgia and in North Carolina. They're spreading, and it's a wonderful idea. The more centers we get, the better the system will work. Right now, when a tree company cuts down trees in an urban area or even not in an urban area, if they're not harvesting them for money, they're just cutting them to remove them, that tree has to go to a special landfill, which sometimes is all the way across town. It's a long trip over there. That takes a lot of gas money. A lot of pollution is created getting that tree over to that special place. 
urban wood reuse and urban wood utilization centers are popping up in lots of little locations so that the trees don't have to be trucked very far. The wood goes to one of these centers, it is reused. It could be something decorative like planks for siding for a home. It could be a table. It could be chairs. It could be furniture. It can be um, just unfinished wood. People have all different kinds of uses or needs for urban wood. These are good quality trees. Sometimes they're really old, um, historic. I know about one family that had to take a tree down, but they had three generations grow up under that tree that had memories of that tree. They took it to a utilization center and they each got part of the tree. They turned it into something special for them. That tree went out to eight different families, but they were eight different families that already had an emotional and historical connection to the tree. It keeps memories alive. It, it, perpetuates the great things that we all love about trees. In a commercial sense, it saves pollution, it saves time, it reduces waste, and we can reuse this great wood. What do you wish people would do differently when they're designing and growing trees? When they're placing trees in a landscape, a lot of times we just don't take into account how large this tree is going to get. So before planting or before deciding where to locate a tree, look up at the overhead situation, utility lines, other trees even, and then look down. What's underground? Do we have all kinds of utility infrastructure? We've got 5G cable lines that get dug up and redug every couple of years. We've got sewer infrastructure, water. So you, you got to think you want the right tree in the right place. You have to think about how big this tree could potentially get and plan for that. What tree myth would you like to smash? That trees are inherently dangerous. They're not inherently dangerous. They're like any other structure. If you care for them properly, you maintain them, you do all that you can to keep the tree healthy and happy, you can have a lifetime with that tree. It will outlive us. And just because they're tall and they sway in the wind, it does not mean that they're going to crack into your house. What's your earliest tree memory? I used to read a lot as a child, and I loved to be outdoors. And we had a huge tree in my backyard, and I don't even know what kind it was. But I would go and I'd take my book and I'd put a blanket under that tree, and I would just lay under that tree and read. I'd look up into the limbs of the tree, and I'd want to be a bird. But I think at the time I wanted to be a bird just so that I could hop around the limbs of the tree. So I think it was more I was more focused on the tree <laughs> and just climbing around. Later on, as an adult, I did start climbing trees with true tree climbing equipment and I really enjoyed that all right what and I've asked you this question somewhat and you've given me an answer but I want to dig deeper in this why did you decide to pursue the tree profession I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to reinvent myself I thought long and hard about what brings me comfort what is my escape what do I want to think about and learn about more than anything and the answer just kept coming back trees at the time I was teaching at a small private college not teaching tree things I was teaching law related things I wanted to stay in academia 
So I put all those together and I decided to go back to school and get a master's in forest resources and become an arborist. I have loved just about every second of it. <laughs> in your professional career, who's been your biggest influencer? I was very lucky that before I took this job with the Georgia Forestry Commission, I had the opportunity to see the person that was in this job perform it for about three years. The whole time I was in school getting my master's in forest resources, we're involved heavily with the community forester whose position I'm now in. And so I got to see how he worked. I got to see him do this job for a couple of years before I started doing the job. There's a little sticker up on my laptop that even says WWSD and it means what would Seth do because I saw Seth do this job so well for so long and sometimes I have to just stop and think okay if I was watching Seth do this what would Seth do that was my first big influence and my day-to-day influence as I have taken on this job I've connected with a lot of really great women who are arborists or somehow in the field, they're in the public works or they're in parks or they're in a tree-related job and there's not a lot of women in those jobs. There is is one woman named Susan Russell up in Jefferson. She has done so much for Jackson County, for Jefferson, the city, and she has taught me a whole lot about being a community forester and just an arborist in general, just how to get tree knowledge out. She's really good at telling people the interesting statistics like if there's an inch of rain on an acre of pavement over an hour you get 30,000 gallons of water that has to be moved quickly those kind of numbers appeal to people I've learned a lot from her about doing that you never did tell us Seth's last name Seth Hawkins okay he's now moving on up at the Georgia Forestry Commission he's a wonderful partnership coordinator What is the most valuable tree mistake you've ever made? Oh, I've done some terrible pruning to trees before I knew what I was doing. Before I went to school, I would just, I read some books about it and I looked at videos, but once you're out there faced with the tree, it's intimidating. And so I've done some terrible pruning things to trees, not realizing that I was taking too much or I was taking the incorrect branch or that I just cut it in the wrong place. I've done some bad things like that. But now I know and I can go back and I can fix it. It's fixable. Yeah. What have you recently learned about trees? I learn something every day about trees. They're even more resilient than I thought. We had a huge storm come through the end of last month and I sat and looked out the window and watched the trees swaying. I was certain they were just going to snap. They didn't. So I'm just even more enthralled with them, if that's possible. Yeah, a lot of flexibility. They certainly know what they're doing. I'd like for you to complete this statement. In my garden, I have. I have a big mess right now. I got on the rewilding kick, and so I stopped mowing most of my backyard a few years ago. Then it turned into a privet and sweet gum forest. I got that mess. I bought chemicals to deal with the situation, but I just cannot make myself use them. A friend of mine has been wonderful in going back there with a shovel 
just actually digging up the sweet gums in the privet. Now I can see my oaks are coming up, I can see my loblollies are coming up, and so it's starting to turn into the forest that I wanted it to turn into. But I'm always going to be fighting that privet. It's a big mess right now. What did you learn from your garden last year that you're going to apply this year? I learned that if you give some vines an inch, they will take over. My oregano was swallowed, my aloe was swallowed, I had some other little perennials that I put in, everything is now underneath the vines. I've really got to stay on top of those things. What are your future plans for your garden? To make it more self-sufficient, to get the stilton grass out of there so I can quit pulling that every year. I'd like it to be a little bit more independent. What plant are you in love with this week? What am I in love with this week? Oh, sourwoods are blooming right now. You can Uh, see them on the side of the road. I just drove up to Helen last week and all up along the side of the road on the way north, the sourwoods are blooming. They've got these beautiful white blooms that are just so unique looking and they're just so pretty. This is a great time for sourwood. Yeah. Do you think they're blooming a little lighter this year than normal? Yes. Last year it was a little bit earlier. It looks like in general everything is blooming lighter than what it normally does. I don't wonder if that reflects back on the freezes we had this year. We had odd rainfall patterns, some crazy storms. The, the water has been either just drought or way too much water. We can't seem to get a constant amount. It's a deluge or it's a drought. If someone wants to build their knowledge of trees, like how to plant it or prune it, do you have a resource for that? We do. The Georgia Forestry Commission website, which is gatrees.org, has wonderful videos and also some brochures, whichever media form you prefer, about how to plant a tree, how to prune a tree. Uh, We've got tree owner manuals that will take you from start to finish on a tree throughout the tree's lifetime. It's very important to know how to properly plant a tree. That sets the tone for the rest of the tree's life if you plant it too deep or too shallow that will definitely shorten its life and make it struggle rather than thrive let's say that i've watched those videos but i still have more questions is there additional resources that you have that i can get the information yes you can even write a question through the ask the arborist feature on our website for the forestry commission if you just go to our website there is a big search block you can type in ask the arborist it'll take you to a page where you can fill out just some basic information about what county the tree is in what kind of tree is it what issue are you having with the tree or what question do you have and you can upload a picture those questions then come to uh, community foresters like myself and we divide up the state geographically and we answer the questions in our territory. We can answer with more resources, we can point you in a different direction, or a lot of times we just have the knowledge or can find it, or we can source it. I know a lot of entomology people, a lot of forestry people, and we can source the answer if it's something oddball, get to an answer back. That feature is available through our website. It's great. You get in contact with an arborist for free, and hopefully we've got a pretty short turnaround time on questions. So if you have any tree questions, that is a great place to get them answered. I know there's a lot of communities that 
are looking for resources to plant trees. Could you tell us about any programs you might have to help with that? We do. Right now, the Georgia Forestry Commission has several grant programs. One is called Relief. The deadline to apply for that is the end of August. It is mostly federal money. It's aimed mostly at disadvantaged communities, although we can fund other non-disadvantaged community projects. That's for plantings on city property, county property, nonprofits can apply for it, schools can apply for these grants. We provide a lot of technical assistance as far as what to plant and where to plant it. And we'll even help you pull off planting day if we can make arrangements for that. We have another larger grant called Trees Across Georgia. That can be up to $300,000 for tree plantings, tree projects, and that can be that much money per year for up to four years. So we are really planning to work to get a lot of money out to communities this summer, this fall, and then the projects need to be done by end of next March. But we are really spending this time getting money out to the communities for large planting projects. Some of the smaller grants can even fund tree giveaways if cities or nonprofits want to do those. Have you done this grant program before? I was looking for an example or some ideas on how to apply that in the community. Yes, we've done relief before, although this is this big batch of money that we've got right now is from the federal money, from the infrastructure, from the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA money that many states are getting. We got a very large chunk of it based on our application of what we plan to do with all this money, which is just to get it out to cities. Tree giveaways can be funded, tree planting projects for city and county property, nonprofits, schools, we can plant there. There's one community that needs to remove some Bradford pears on the drive into town and then get those stumps ground, replant. Uh, Watering maintenance may be included depending on how it's involved schoolyards and right-of-ways we can help with a grant to put trees in or even to remove if there's something that needs to come out as long as there's going to be a replanting. We can help with invasive removals if there's a replanting involved. And then there are some neighborhoods, the federal government's really trying to promote tree equity right now. There are a lot of disadvantaged neighborhoods that don't have access to park space or trees or some neighborhoods just don't have many trees in them. It can be possible and there's one community that's already applied for the smaller the two grants to put in trees in the right of way but it will still fall in the front yards of people's homes where there just aren't a lot of trees in that neighborhood so it's increasing the tree canopy which has so many direct and indirect benefits for that community and the surrounding communities let me ask you this what is an urban forest The urban forest is all the trees in an urban area as well as all the trees in adjacent areas. We call them urban trees or community forest because the benefits of trees like the clean air and the clean water and the stormwater mitigation, all those great benefits of trees don't stop at zip code lines or city limit 
signs. They just spread. So the more trees that we get everywhere, it benefits everyone everywhere. So all the community trees are all the trees in a community, whether they're publicly owned, say they're at the courthouse or at a park or a school, or whether they're privately owned in a neighborhood in your backyard. They all contribute to making us healthier and making our lives better. They're all part of the community forest. Lee, tell us how people may connect with you. The best way is to go to the Georgia Forestry Commission website, which is gatrees.org. From there, if they're specifically interested in urban and community forestry, there's a tab on the homepage and you can click into urban and community and it gives you all kinds of resources, even search functions, and you can find out more about that. This has been a fresh episode 126, Branches and Boundaries, Navigating Tree Legalities with Lee Clark. Thank you, Lee. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You won't want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.